guys, and welcome to Morning Coffee. We had a little bit of a delay this morning, but we are here with you. I am Brooke Carlock, your host, and I am really excited about today's guest because I want to learn more about uh, his company. So my guest today is Micah Truman. He is the CEO of a company called Return Home, and I will let him explain everything that it is, but it is fascinating to me. So I can't wait to speak with him. So without further ado, I'm going to bring him on. Hello, Micah. Hello, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Sorry for all the back and forth for starters. (laughs) That's okay. We're only a little bit late. So it's all right. We'll we'll, we'll get this done. Um, So can you just kind of start out telling us a little bit about you and return home? and, And I'm interested to find out kind of how you got into this company. So I guess just tell us a little bit about you first and what Return Home is for the viewers, um, because I'm I'm excited to hear about this. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm Micah Truman. I am the CEO and founder of Return Home. Uh, We started Return Home uh, in January of 2019. Um, Prior to that, I'd worked in the finance industry, which is completely upside down and Different. Yeah, that's a weird, <laughs> weird link there. <laughs> yeah, we all have weird pivots in our lives. That, yeah. that was certainly mine. Um, the challenge became, or uh, as we first started, I should sort of back up a little bit. Washington State was the first place in the world to legalize what we call terramation, otherwise known as uh, human composting. And I was sitting in 2018 with my nice Jewish mom and her two buddies from New York. And we saw in the news that there was a human composting law being voted for in the Washington legislature. And I said, my, you know, this is bananas. And uh, she said, no, you know, it's not. And uh, her two buddies were both like, no, not crazy in the slightest. We do it too. And uh, can you bring our bodies here if that law is actually enacted? And I thought, wow, you know, that's not exactly the kind of discussion that happens in our house. And uh, from that point on, it really stuck in my head. I had worked in finance. I had stopped doing it uh, a year or two before. I was looking for something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to figure out a company that truly the bigger it got, the better off the world was for it. And for some Mm -hmm. wild reason, those two things dovetailed. Uh, The only twist was it involved people dying. And I had never worked in that space. And so that became the journey and we, we quite kind of went from there. Wow. Okay. So can you explain what, what exactly return home does? Like what is the process of human composting? Sure. Uh, we have a team and we actually give dancing lessons from Tuesdays to Thursdays. <laughs> uh, okay. So we are, uh, we're a, we're a termination. We're a human composting company. We can uh, transform a body into soil in about two months, two and a half months, depending depending on the body size. Uh, we have a facility that's in Auburn, Washington, just south of Seattle. We have okay. uh, a 74 vessel capacity and I can explain the process and science if you'd like real quick. Sure, yeah, right. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear kind of how it works. Sure, um, oh, strange question, does my vest rustle? No, you no, hearing? you're good. Okay, good. Um, I've had a little bit of Russell problem in the last little while. All right. So uh, we have developed a system that 
allows us to place a body um, of incredibly varied size, and we can get into that in a moment, um, into a purpose-built vessel, eight feet long, three and a half feet wide, three and a half feet tall. First, we put organics in the vessel, alfalfa, straw, and sawdust at about a two to one ratio, three to one ratio of uh, bulking agent organics, I should say, to body weight. So a hundred pound body would have, you know, two, 300 pounds mm. of organics surrounding it. We then take that vessel and plug it into what we call octopus, which is this giant air moving system that we have that runs through our facility. It's a 15,000 square foot facility. Wow. And air begins to gently run through the vessel, about a fifth of a hairdryer, really, really uh -huh. little. It begins to take the organics up to temperature, gets them hot um, in the same way that compost can get hot. And then the microbes in your body, the things that transform the food you eat into energy are hardwired to then begin to transform us back to the earth. And so that natural, that's why we don't have bodies littering the earth. We, we transform. And yeah. for those of us who have sat with a person who's died maybe for a day at our home, uh, I don't know if you ever noticed, but the body is still, it's not still, it becomes warm over time. And that's because actually the microbes have begun to do the transformation process. Wow. So the body gets up to incredible temperatures. It can go up as high as 170 degrees in about 72 hours. We actually don't want it that hot. We want to get it to about 140. Uh, so at about 140, we keep it there and watch it very, very closely. And in about a month, a touch longer, sometimes the body is completely transformed. Um, mm. The only exception are bones and teeth. Uh, okay. We take the bone and we reduce it, grind it, just like they do in cremation. That's exactly what happens in cremation. The difference is, is we don't use any fire. We take those okay. fragmented bones, put them back into the soil. And bones are weird. They're very, very hard on the outside and very porous on the inside. And so the moment you fragment them, put them back in that soil, the microbes will immediately transform them. So that hmm. soil sits for a second month. And in that month, the bones pretty much disappear. And we are left with a very beautiful soil we then give back to our families. Wow. That <laughs> is cool. Like I love, I, I'm a science person. So I'm, that is really cool. So when a person would go through this process with a loved one, what exactly do they get back then? Yes. Um, it's, it's interesting, right? Because we use a lot of bulking agent, we get about 250 pounds of soil back, which oh is a yeah. yep, substantial amount. Uh, the family can take as much or as little as they wish. We have an eight acre woodland that we purchased, which is very close to our office, our facility. And we will scatter there at no additional charge. Hmm. About 60% of our families take all of it. Uh, and the remaining 40% say, take some portion of it. Um, yeah. And we've figured out a way to put it into burlap bags, which allow it to breathe. It's very important uh, because the soil is alive. Yeah. Uh, and it'll load in the back of a Subaru. In fact, we've even done a Honda Fit. So oh. it fits quite well. And uh, families take all, all different amounts. So have you heard stories of like what, what people do, like once they take the remains, what are some of the things that people have done or could do with the soil? I mean, I'm assuming you can put it pretty much anywhere because of, you know, it's yep. organic material. You got it. Um, yeah, uh, there's been, the first thing I didn't understand is 
the first thing a person does usually when they receive the soil is put their arms around the bag and put their face in it. And the reason for that, I think, is it just smells like the earth. It's a very different experience. So giving soil to somebody, uh, if I'm having a really bad day, uh, one of my staff will usually come in and go, go downstairs, go go give soil (laughs) to that family. Um, So many different uses. So we had one family, uh, he was sort of an older, sort of the, 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 you know, sort of that center that everyone leaned on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took his soil and they planted an entire tree break in front of their house to ensure mm-hmm. that when the wind blew, uh, it protected their house. We had a very beautiful one a little while ago where we lost a little girl. She was seven mm-hmm. and her mother took the soil and broke it up into a hundred little bags. And this little girl loved bees. That was her thing. Uh, And so when her service came around, her mom gave each of her friends a little bag. And the the favor she asked was to plant uh, something that could feed the bees. Um, So there are beautiful, beautiful things. Yeah, I could go on and on, but the we're only limited by our own, our own imagination, but it's been, it's been pretty stunning. Yeah. And I'm assuming you could just kind of sprinkle it anywhere that you would like sprinkle ashes from cremation, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the difference being, um, I think there's an important distinction to be made here. We need to understand a difficult truth. And that is, especially in urban areas, cremation is employed, used 90% of the time. So in my town of Seattle and in most big um, really urban areas, that's a typical percentage. Every time you cremate, um, it takes 550 pounds of CO2 and puts it straight up into the air and wow. uses enough gas, uh, you know, 30 gallons of gas to, to, to drive a car, you know, quite a, quite a long distance from LA to San Francisco and back. Hmm. And what we're left with is as useful to the earth as a bucket full of sand. Yeah. Most importantly, and that was that what I just told you was the pitch I did as I first began return home. But there's a bigger thing here and something worth pointing out. We don't ever talk about a funeral worker, ever. We don't ever talk about what it takes for one person to incinerate another person. And it's so interesting. I did it. Um, Look what I led with first. To cremate a person means you have to put them in a retort. You have to keep a flame on them. At one point, you'll usually need a metal hook and you'll need to manually readjust that body under the open flame. Um, And that is a serious ask. And we don't ever talk about that or think about that. And the reason is funeral workers are America's untouchables. We can do anything we want with them. They're so unimportant that we don't even factor them in when we talk about anything. (laughs) Uh, They're paid poorly. They work enormous hours. It's a very difficult job. Um, So when we talk about cremation, I think we really do have to talk about a deep and systemic problem, both societally to this group of workers and environmentally to our earth. And we don't talk about it because we have a deep-seated belief that if we don't talk about dying, it might not happen to us. And so why don't we just, 
let's talk about the Seahawks. And these problems remain deep and systemic. And this yeah. is an answer we hope works for as a solution, I guess. That's such an amazing point. And I often, I've lost my 10 year old daughter. And so when you were talking about the seven year old girl, that kind of, that, that hit me, it was beautiful. And we, my daughter was cremated and we had her made into memorial stones. And I often, it's funny that people don't talk about it because you're absolutely right. But the amount of times that it crosses my mind because she was in a car accident and they, they would not let us see her body afterwards. They said like for us, you know, the police had told us about how difficult it was for the emergency workers. But I 100% thought about the people at the funeral home and how did they deal <laughs> with that? I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I'm her mom, but just in general, having to see that all the time. So that point that you're making about doing the cremation, you know, I do think about my daughter in that situation and, and how difficult it must have been for that person to have to do that, you know? So and, you are absolutely right. Um, yeah, and I'm so sorry for your for your loss. Um, it is. But at the same time, I think a, a, also an important caveat, which is I also uh, have cremated, you know, all of my family. And what I say is not a judgment on those who cremate. That's actually all my family's ever done, too. Yeah. It's that, that is what is available to us. And this is not meant in any way as a judgment, but more, I hope that we can certainly give an option. Yeah. Well, that's why I was so excited to have you on, because I honestly, until I got into grief work, you know, and got into that world of grief, I had never heard of what you do. Yeah. I, it was never brought up as an option for me. You know what I mean? It was basically like burial or cremation. And those were the two choices. And, and we thought we were doing something progressive by having her ashes made into the stones, you know, because even Did that- Did you use parting stones? Parting yeah, stone? so we use parting stones. So, so we have- Justin is the CEO. He's a lovely man. I don't yeah, mean to do a so pitch, we, but those are, they are a phenomenal stones. company. Oh, they're a great yeah. company. Yeah. And I, I love it. And I have touted that as like, you know, I'm so happy that we did that because, you know, I have those stones of my daughter and if I'm having a bad day, I, you know, I carry her around with me or if I'm do, going on some great experience that I wish she could have gone on, I have that with me. But she was so concerned about the environment. I mean, yes. we talked about it all the time as a family that, and, and I'm, you know, I'm concerned about the environment. So I wish I would have known about this because I could think of a million different things that we would have loved to do in honor of her if that, if I would have known that that was an option. So yeah, I mean, the reason I was so excited to have you on today is just to spread that awareness that this is available. And, and I didn't know the environmental impacts. So yes, there, there could are... we actually, could you talk a little bit more about that? Just the tradition, because in my area, I'm in a very conservative Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and cremation is, is popular, much more popular than it was, but most, the majority of people still do the burial plots. Like sure. what's the environmental impact of that? Yeah, that one's rough. Um, yeah. 
the challenge with burial is um, if you really want to make uh, old school funeral director mad, tell them that formaldehyde is a problem. Um, and there's often uh, an animated discussion, formaldehyde. It's what we use to embalm a body. Uh, usually when we bury, we end up embalming. Um, it's a very interesting concept. It started in the Civil War 150 plus years ago, when for the first time, our young men primarily were going far from home, fighting and dying, and there was a need to get them home pre-refrigeration. Right. And everyone, people figured out that embalming fluid formaldehyde when replacing the, you know, when, when you switched out the blood into and used formaldehyde, it would do a decent job of preserving a body and you could get that person home. From that point on, there became an industry, right? Where in those days we might've taken our loved one and bathed them and put them on the table and, you know, made a, made a casket for them out of wood and mm -hmm. put them in the, in the, in the family graveyard, you know, some distance from our home, it suddenly became the province of the professional. And over time, it became a body is toxic waste. You are not qualified to handle it. We are the only ones who are. Embalming fluid is the only thing that can be used. And that's how it is. Mm -hmm. um, that's not quite correct. Um, and again, I'd like to go much more importantly to what it does to a living human being. Inhaling embalming fluid, formaldehyde, through the thin membrane of your nose, um, for starters, I was very excited in the early days. I would sit with these morticians and folks, and I'd say, come here, like, look at this, look at this soil. And it was always the same thing. Anyone over the age of 40 would laugh and say, sorry, buddy, can't smell a thing. Um, now that's rough, right? If you can't smell, you can't really taste. And, and that's a bad thing if you're 40 and, and that's going to be your life for the next 40. Yeah. But more importantly, formaldehyde kills our people. And there is a demonstrable proven link between formaldehyde and certain kinds of cancer. I believe specifically certain kinds of leukemia. And it's incredible to see. Can you imagine if you were a guy hanging like sheetrock wallboard. And in the old days, they used to put asbestos in it. Right. Can you imagine a sheetrock hanger going, I'm furious. I cannot believe that you will insist that I remove asbestos from my wallboard. This is a fire retardant, don't you know? And I devote my life to this. But somehow our industry does exactly yeah. that. So rather than say we must find an alternative, we say I'm outraged that anyone would be so sacrilegious as to question this. Right. I do question that. It kills our people. It hurts our people. And I don't want that. And I don't think our young people should have that. And I don't think they signed up for that. So um, I, I guess one more point. If you walk into a funeral home, you will find a series of caskets. The more expensive the casket the more sealed it is to the outside world. Somehow we have created a world in which keeping our body preserved and separate as long as we can is the most valuable thing we can do. For starters, that's not really going to work. Nature will do it. It might take a century. It might take three, but that transformation will happen. Yeah. But the second is we might want to think a little bit about why we so much want that separation. 
we come from the earth, we return to it. Is there really a need to fill ourselves with chemical by a $10,000 gasketed coffin, put it in a cement and rebar lined hole and then let it sit there for two centuries? Why exactly is that the thing we need and we'll spend $20,000 for? I'm not trying to judge and say that's right or wrong. It concerns me, but mm -hmm. I guess I want to raise the question and say, why is that such a huge a huge priority and somehow it has been. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like so many people are stuck in the, well, this is the way it's been. And so <laughs> this is what we'll continue doing. It's like that societal, you know, it's just ingrained now that that is how you want things, you know, like if you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Brooke, may I ask you a question? I mean, sure. Had you ever thought about how you wanted things when your daughter passed? Like at, when your daughter died, did you know how you want things or what happened to you? How did you make your decisions? Mine was, well, what's, what's kind of ironic about it is that I had always said for myself, you know, I, had, I don't think any parent thinks about their children <laughs> dying, course, but I had, I had figured for myself that I wanted to be cremated because at the time I thought that that was the most environmentally sound thing to do because you hear, you know, we're running out of room for the caskets and Absolutely. you know, where's everybody going to go? And exactly what you said, like I knew that they didn't decompose and, and in my mind it was, you know, sprinkling the ashes somewhere was more environmentally friendly than, you know, having a giant casket stuck in the earth forever that doesn't decompose. Um, yep. So, so that was my totally. thought process. So, and, when, and that was mine when I began too. Uh, I think yeah. that's exactly how how my head worked. I, I think it's really interesting. And I think for the majority of people, I feel like that's how they are still thinking, which is why I, I feel like this is so important to let people know that there's another option. Agreed. I would, Agreed. Yeah. Now, like personally, now. I'm like, get, do the human composting. That's, I mean, for me, that's the most logical choice because it's exactly like you said. Like, and I am, I am a history lover. I am a student of history, so it's exactly like you said. Where you know, <laughs> in history, that's exactly what we did. You just put people on the ground, and then they just eventually returned to the ground, and you know, you're yeah. you're absorbed, and you become part of that nature again. And we've somehow gotten away from that. But yes. I, I love the idea of returning to that. So. It's, it's really interesting. When we started out, I thought that return home would be a Caucasian, middle and upper middle class, environmentalish, tree huggerish consumer yeah. base. And by all, you know, I, I resemble that remark. But um, what's been very interesting is to see that is not by any means the only demographic that uses okay. us. Um, we see very little resistance on either side. Uh, by that, I mean uh, a very large group of our of our families that come to us are farmers from across the uh, state. They oh, are wow. not they are not Democrats by and large. and what they want is to go back to their land. This yeah. is their third generation property. It's exactly what they've always loved. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do and they're going to go back there. thank you very much. Um, so it's been really interesting to realize that actually this is not a divisive issue. The only issue that's the real problem is our avoidance, and I, you know it better than anyone, of talking about dying. 
exactly. of that, right? If you sit down and tell somebody, talk to somebody about what they want, the conclusion might be very similar to the one you and I have come up with. But if we don't have that discussion, that conclusion can never be reached. Mm-hmm. And that becomes, you know, we'll have a person come in and she's heartbroken. She suddenly lost her husband of 50 years. She adored the man. You know, they had the same food they liked. She knew every movie he loved. Uh, they'd been around the world together. Um, and she had no idea what her husband wanted when he died. And so she was in yeah. real pain because what would he hope for? And she'll, you know, we've had people look at us and go, you think he'd like this? Yeah. And we're like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I hope so. I Maybe. Yeah. Um, and so that's a real, a real challenge. Yeah. I think... Uh- while you were talking, I was kind of thinking, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the hesitations that people would have. And I feel like one might be for why people still choose the traditional burial is actually having the place to go to, you know, visit, quote unquote, that person. Um, but I feel like there's, there's so many ways to overcome that. Like, yes, like with my daughter yes. at her accident site, there's a, there's a little memorial there. And, but again, like no environmental impact from, that. you know, that stuff isn't going to stay there for centuries and not like decompose. I can go and take it out, you know, anytime that I want. So and and I love the idea of the soil. Like if you have someone who likes to garden, like they can totally. become part of the garden, and something can grow out of that. Or sure, you know, if they have like a special tree or bench or park or something. Like they can become part of that, and you can still go and and remember that person and honor that person. You know, without having the traditional headstone and casket philosophy. And so, I think it's really incumbent on us. It's very important that because the need to memorialize is incredibly important. I, I, I'm imagining yeah. that you have a place. Yeah. The, the places you mentioned for your daughter are sacred to yeah. you, I would think. Yeah. And I talk right? about that a lot. It's part of, part of healing is having that memorialization. Yep. So there is an instinct, a need in us to have that place for our person or maybe places and this is as easy a way as possible a way yeah. uh, to memorialize our person as any other. We have had people place the soil in cemeteries. We've had them perfectly doable with a headstone, if that's yeah. what people really want to do. Yeah. Uh, we've had people plant trees, large ones, and that works just fine as well. Um, we've got a conference coming up in which we've got two cemetery landscape designers coming in, talking about the landscape design of the future, the future cemetery. And their point is, let's make places in the cemetery that have memorial plaques and areas for the scattering of terramated soil. There are large areas, right? We automatically have this thought that if we transform our person into soil, we can't memorialize them. But actually, if you think about it, we're as able to do it this way as we are any other. But it's important that we as a society begin to design. So they're talking now about cemeteries, right? In the average cemetery, the entirety of the land is not usable for burying bodies, usually. There's usually low-lying land. There's usually parts that, for whatever reason, don't allow for uh, interment of bodies. Well, that's a phenomenal place then to be placing soil. Right. Uh, so it's actually an incredible opportunity for cemeteries and something that give great comfort to our families. Yeah. So, there's some twists we can make, but boy, we can do it. 
Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. You had mentioned the conference. Is that the TerraCon conference? Yes. Can you yes. tell us, tell my audience a little bit about that if they're interested? Sure. Uh, TerraCon will be the first annual Terramation conference. It's in Tacoma, Washington, 21st and 22nd of February. We have both in-person and Zoom options available. Uh, if you want to check it out, just type in Terracon 2024 into your Google and it'll pop right up to the top. Uh, we've got over 150 people attending in person. We've got about the same amount attending from Zoom. We've got guys coming from as far away as Australia and Germany. Um, and it's going to be absolutely cool. We're really excited. Scientists. Uh, we have a legislator coming in, uh, Pam Marsh. Right. She's incredible. She was the sponsor of the bill in Oregon. She's the state senator. She got it through the legislature. And then six months later, when it was passed, her husband died. And she mm. walked the walk that she was that she was talking and had him terramated. So she's going to be the first legislator we've ever seen stand up, talk about making the law, and then having their own family member go through that process. So oh, that it's pretty wild. It's going to be really yeah, cool. Yeah, so good. It's starting. So the, it, <laughs> we just need to keep the momentum going because it seems like it's starting to get out there. Oh, yeah. There, there'll be, uh, yeah, Pablo Metz is coming in from Germany. He started his company there in Berlin. So we are. We're going we're gonna to see this continue to spread. I, uh, I'm, I'm super excited. So for someone who is is listening and you know god forbid something happens to a loved one or even if they want to plan for themselves what are the steps that someone would go through if they're considering this process sure um for people our age right we're not the youngest in the room but we're certainly not the oldest uh uh yeah we sort of fit that rough demographic uh, yep. <laughs> there is there is something called pre-need which allows us to pre-purchase a service okay. um it allows payment over time so our, our fee is $5,000, $4,950 for the Terramation. We also, at this point, serve 49 states. Uh, unfortunately, Alabama, for whatever reason, insists on embalming for shipping because <laughs> Alabama. Um, but with that, with that exception, uh, we are able to take a person and do uh, across the country. I believe we've helped 25 states so far. So it would be as simple as calling us, setting up either a one-time payment or a payment plan. And when uh, you die, whenever that time might be, a simple phone call to us would allow us to arrange every detail, have uh, your body brought from wherever you are in the, in the United States to us unembalmed, transform that body, your body into soil, and ultimately return that soil back to you. Uh, it's yeah. as simple as a phone call, and we do it all the time. Fantastic. That price is like amazing. For anyone, I know I'm, I'm just speaking from experience. I had no idea how much everything costs until I had to go through it. And it, whew, yeah. <laughs> so I just to let people know if you haven't had to go through anything like this, where you have someone buried or cremated, like, and you hear that price and you're like, oh my gosh, no, that is 100% comparable to what you're going to be spending, if not less expensive than what you might be spending on a traditional, you know burial of any sort so we we made a rule and the rule is um i'm sure brooke you were in a similar situation right your biggest job is to separate oxygen from carbon dioxide just that mm -hmm. takes all the strength in your body and then right. if i put you through a complicated decision tree i i you're i don't know it's 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 you know you are you're struggling 
And yeah. so we made a very concerted effort to not do what we think of as the upsell or the cross sell. So when we do a $4,950 charge um, for us, if you're within 75 miles of our facility, removal and delivery of body is at no charge. Death certificate, one of them, no charge. Terramation all the way through, part of it. So what we try to do is reduce the number of choices we give a person so that it can be as simple as possible for them. That the, is so only, the only thing we do that's different is if someone's far away, there's a shipping cost, but yeah. we don't add margin, just it's the shipping cost, don't worry about it, we'll take care of that. Right. Um, you know, I mean, we'll arrange it and it will need to be additionally paid. And with that exception and a, and a visitation at our, at our facility, um, there is no additional anything. I'd yeah. like to talk a little bit, if I might, about kids, am I allowed to do that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, go. Okay. <laughs> you can talk about anything you want. <laughs> okay, so there I am. And uh, there's this famous Mike Tysonism, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> and so my initial focus was very much on carbon capture, right? Um, we have a terrible problem in which we do all these things. And obviously we've talked about the things that I realized were additional mm -hmm. and just as important. We build this facility for two and a half years. And one day, lo and behold, a person comes in who's died. And it was our first day. And it hit me like a thunderbolt. It hit me like a thunderbolt. She was so young. She was 31. She'd been autopsied, which is a, you know, a very, a very brutal process that just it's the it's the physical equivalent of nakedness. It's like opening all of us up to the world. And uh, for me, it was it was just literally I was holding on for dear life. And mm -hmm. Bree Smith, our funeral you know directors, like, you know, she was really cool because I really wanted to be part of everything that happened. and I was useless. But <laughs> Bree was making sure that I could go and do it with her in his you know, helpless state as I, as I was, but what that did for me, um, because I did removals, because I sat with Brie and, and, you know, Brie'd be like, I'm going to watch this, watch this. I'm going to make her beautiful. I can fix that autopsy. I can fix it. And I can do it in a way that when she's done, it's going to look just great. And her family can come and dang, if she couldn't. So going there and seeing these things has taught me so much about what a family wanted. And because I was so new to it, I had an instinct too of what I wanted. And I realized so many things, right? Like, Brooke, you're you, I'm me. We don't know each other well. You're going to choose what happens to you when you die. You know, so will I. But I'll bet you $100 you don't want to be naked and dirty when you've died in front of people. And I felt the exact same way the other way. I didn't want to see someone in that position in that, in that state. It's almost like instinctive. And so we began to learn so much about what it means to treat people well. And when I say people, I mean, first, the living and yeah. second, the dead. And what we found was it actually dovetails beautifully. Ready? If I look at a body and it's covered in its own dirt and blood I have two choices if I do that for a living. I can be numb and just do it. Or I can say, no mas, I'm out of here, right? And I quit. Yeah. 
but I can't have people quitting every day and I can't have people that don't have heart. So what's the solution? Let's make people beautiful. Wash their hair, comb it. Fix their autopsy so their mother can see them. Put a beautiful compostable gown on them. Why? Because as a living person, if that person looks beautiful, I feel great about it. I feel good. It's the opposite of that of that fear and, 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 and horror. When yeah. I take that body and give it to other people in different stations that return home, they're caring for her really well too because her hair is pretty and they don't want to mess it up. And so we realized that this was one and the same, what we need as living humans and how we should treat our, our dead became dovetailed. I then also saw the things, funeral directors, Brie and Katie specifically, are absolutely marvels. They are able to function in an environment that is unbelievable. And you know it, Brooke, that right. environment and that. And they act with compassion and they are also functional, except sometimes. And I began to watch really clearly what would blow them up. And I realized one of the most painful things that I was seeing was that Brie or Katie would sit with a mother and a father who had lost, for example, a child, mm -hmm. work them through a horrendous time. And when it was done, ask them to swipe their credit card. And I'd never made the rule or thought about it. It was just the first time. And I looked at them and I went, if I do that consistently, I'm going to break those two women. And so we made a rule and the rule was we don't charge for children under the age of 18 at all. Um, again, but I want to go back about how we made that rule. My first reason I made that rule was for the living, for Brie and for Katie, so that when they know they're about to face a mother and father who've lost a child, that they're capable of giving them the brightest thing that happened to them that day in the, in the, in the worst day of their life. I'm equipping them to do it. And so we turned it all around and began to do it that way. Um, that in turn, though, allows for families to really care about us and love us. It's not a bad business decision. Again, it's like we always think of a decision as a one-sided thing. Well, that's really stupid. How can you do that, right? But on the other side, it's like, no, we have families who love us because we cared for them. And they'll yeah. be loyal to us forever. So it's been a really interesting thing. Um, I walked into return home Friday morning. We had a four-year-old girl. She, we, I walk in with Brie and Katie. No, it's a lie. Brie and Katie were there early. They placed her in the little cot because her mama has, was flying up from California to put her in the vessel with her hands. They had arranged her little baby trolls in a line. And it was so beautiful and so, you know, <laughs> it's a lot. And so yeah. I realized what a gift that is, that my team can do that. Her mama came in and her dad uh, and her mom placed her, her little daughter in the vessel with her own hands. She filled the vessel with flowers. 
She had her toys right there and those will go on top of her vessel. Um, and she sat there for a couple hours to say her goodbye. And I hope we think that that's a gift we could give and that it provides, like we said, some sunshine on a difficult time. Yeah. I then got on a call with my insurance manager and in the middle of my discussion, I cried. <laughs> that is okay. I don't know how you can't with what you do, honestly. I mean, that's healthy. <laughs> yes, but I am a 52-year-old, like, old guy. They don't do this. So it is very interesting to watch how it goes. And it squeezes out in weird times. Yeah. It's wild. That is, yeah. Yes. Well, that's grief. <laughs> Grief is wild. I, Mike, I can just feel your heart. I just want to hug you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, yeah, I can just feel your heart and how much of it you put into this just for everyone involved in the process. So first, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing for people. You know, as someone who has lost multiple people in my life, like I would put them in your care in a heartbeat because I can just, <laughs> I can tell, how, you know, how important it is to you. And I think what you're doing is beautiful. Just Thank absolutely you. beautiful. Thank so, you. So, yeah, I, I love everything about it. And now I know what I want to do with myself. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, there you go. There you go. You, you've got a customer. Um, Thank you. Is there anything else that, you wanted to talk about or you want to tell people again where they can can find you or find more information there's anything we can do to get the word out to just sure uh yep uh again i'm i'm micah right ceo of return home we're based in auburn washington which is 20 minutes south of seattle um we have a 15,000 square foot facility we have helped almost 300 families so far and counting across 25 different states. We're able to help across America and Canada and do regularly. Uh, families have come to us from as far away as, I don't know, Hawaii, Florida, uh, wow. New Jersey, uh, Toronto. So we've really done a lot there. Our facility is completely open to the public. Our families are able to both place beautiful organic things in the vessel. They can place pictures on the vessel. Um, one last thing that was a big one was preparation. So, uh, people can also participate in preparing their loved one before. So people will often bring in Katie be like, so would you like to wash your hair? And the person will be like, heck no, I don't. What's the matter with you? And then the <laughs> next day they'll call and be like, I want to stand next to you. And then, you know, they'll be like, get out of my way. This is, this is my person. I, I can do that. Yeah. So, uh, this allows for participation from the very beginning in preparing your person in whichever way you do or don't wish all the way through to placing them in vessel and all kinds of stuff can go in there. Uh, we've seen 20 year old wedding cake that is sat in a freezer, uh, oh, bad wow. scotch, um, gummy bears. Uh, uh, yeah, every possibility. And then the outside of the vessel is decorated too. pictures, love letters, Jewish prayer shawls, military flags, rainbow flags. Um, and people do that. And yeah. finally people can visit anytime they want. So it's a very different space. Uh, Brie and Katie say we're Willy Wonka if he wasn't into chocolate. <laughs> so oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so that's oh, us. Just, I, like, I'm feeling just so inspired from hearing all of these ideas. I mean, the traditional experience is so 
cold, I guess, is the word that comes to mind. It's just very hands-off. Like, you don't see anything behind the curtain. And I love that your curtain is wide open because I feel like that's so good for grief, too. I mean, that's what I talk about in everything that I do. And I just feel like this way is so much healthier, just being involved with the process of remembering and honoring your person. Yeah, no, you make a great point. The more open we are, the more people appreciate it. And I'll have you know that I am the biggest coward in my company. So every time I I made this pr- principle, which is we have to be open, and then we set a rubric for it, which is, um, does it show love? Is it safe? Does it work? If to the best of your ability, you can say yes to all three, anyone in the company can make the call. The mother says, I'd like to place my child in the vessel with my own hands. Like for me, I'm going to be like, no, absolutely not. Absol- <laughs> absolutely not. Um And, uh, you know, and Katie will be like, yes, right? And so it really, I think the more transparent we are, the more people love it. And the instinct in me always runs counter to a point where when I'm starting to get really afraid, and I really realize that. It used to be like, oh, I know what I am. Like, I'm mad or I'm this. No, I'm not. I'm just scared. Um, And so as I feel the fear begin to rise in me, that's the point at which we go, ah, like, double down. Like, are you being, are you, are you being honest? Are you being transparent? It's not that I'm being dishonest by lying. It's that I'm being dishonest by running. (laughs) (laughs) I I vote with my feet. Um, uh, We had an incredible one where uh, a mother took her 17 year old son and we have a space in the back of our facility where we place organics. And so, right. If the body goes on the organics and then they come out and the family can be with their Mm -hmm. person. Well, this mom was sitting there that day and she goes, well, you told me I can do all this stuff. You're going to take the vessel to the back of, of house and, and, and you're going to fill it with organics, right? And we're like, yeah. She's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, oi, they, like, oi. Um, and Kitty goes, great, great idea. Love it. Um, so she went back with that mother and then the mother was like, we need to film this. We need to, we need to do this. We need to film it because if there's a mother in my position, I think they should see this. I think this will be helpful to them. And I was yeah. like, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm proto and I'm quivering protoplasm in the back. And Katie's like, bring yeah. it. Um, <laughs> and so they filmed it and put it up on socials and it was seen 53 million times. Oh my gosh. And that meant that we had mothers and fathers coming to us going, I want that for my child too. Yep. And what was magic about it, and again, I didn't know, I didn't know anything, was that if your person is in that vessel and you're covering them with organics, you are the one covering their face with your own hands for the last time. Mm. I'd never done that math or understood it, but there's so much power in you being the person that covers your person. And I don't know if we have very many equivalents to that in our society. No. So... I guess a very long-winded way of saying transparency has been kind to us, but man, it scares the pants. <laughs> I just unbelievable. Well, it's good you have Katie. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, and and literally they'll be like, you, you can see it's coming. They're like, Micah, go back to the office. I was like, I don't want to go back to the office. I want to stay here, you know. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a process that's worked well. <laughs> it so, is definitely worth it in the end. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, Micah, thank you so much for everything. This was 
just fascinating and so informational and yeah, I will do everything I can to get the word out. And if you are watching and if you're interested in this topic, I feel like it's something that should absolutely share this podcast, share the website for Return Home. Just let people know that this is available and there are other options than what we've been told. Yeah. Um, Brooke, I just want to say, you know, it's been really interesting watching how different people deal with their grief and watching you take what happened to you and do what you're doing now, which is essentially to be able to give a message of information and comfort to other people who might one day be in your situation. It's not a club anyone wants to join, but when you're in, they didn't ask for your vote. You doing that is a, I'm sorry, you know, it's a mitzvah. It's a, it's an act of kindness and that's beautiful and you're appreciated. Thank you so much. You as well. All right. Well, that is it for Morning Coffee. Thank you again, Micah. If you guys have any comments or questions, feel free to throw them down in the comment section. And we will see you next week. Micah, thank you so much again. Visit, is it returnhome.com? Returnhome.com. Super complicated. There she be. Yep. All right. Easy enough. Thanks again. And we will see you next week, everyone. See you later. We all know that grief can leave us feeling alone, unmotivated, and even hopeless. That's why I'm so proud to have partnered with HelpText to provide a full year of ongoing expert support to my subscribers. HelpText has individualized support for caregivers, people dealing with a difficult diagnosis, or grieving the loss of a loved one, pregnancy, or even a pet. You answer questions at sign up to get specific support just for you, including two texts per week and even extra texts on special or difficult days like birthdays or anniversaries. And the best part is if you sign up using the site linked in my description, you'll get a 10% discount off of your subscription. Thank you so much to Help Text for offering this deal to my subscribers. When life gets hard, getting support from Help Text is easy.